Okay, now let me introduce him. Come on, come here. He's a humble man, and I know that. He's being used by God. I also know that. And for me, it's a pleasure, and I'm, I'm happy to introduce Manny Vita, who is also the children's coordinator, director, the, the what else? El Jefe. Let's put it that way. El Jefe. The children's ministries through the conference, and he's here to preach, to talk about his passion, to talk about Christ, and may God bless you, Manny. May God bless you. God bless you, and welcome to the Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church. Thank you. Good morning. God is good? All the time? You know, I came out here, and I parked, and I, I looked at that and says, oh, look at that. They got all the wood laid out, ready to be built. It almost reminded me of the story, and I'm going like, you know, God, what are you trying to teach us? Anytime something like this happens, I always ask the question, what are you trying to teach us? And this is not part of my sermon, but I just have to kind of interject this just a little bit. Because I, I got to tell you, I'm really excited about what's going to happen Sunday. I've been kind of spreading the word around that, you know, this is probably the best VBS workshop that this conference will ever have put on. Amen, it is. And yet, I go there and I'm going like, wow, isn't that interesting? From neighbors who's trying to call in the city to stop the building. And when that didn't work, from God allowing the wind to blow. And it almost reminded me of that passage in, in Matthew, in, in, in Matthew where, where Jesus was on the boat. And the winds were blowing and the waves were crashing. And the disciples said to Jesus, Master, don't you even care? We worked all night for goodness sake. And Jesus simply stands up. And I wondered, I wondered if Jesus really faced the waves or was he really looking at the disciples when he said, peace, be still. Maybe, just maybe, The bigger lesson that God is trying to teach us as a church is not how well we can work together and put a program, but maybe the bigger lesson is do we really have the faith to trust Him? Because Jesus says in His next set of statements, Oh, ye of little And maybe when this is all said and done, we can truly say, not for our glory, but his glory. Amen. So I will be here with you tomorrow morning, depending on what God allows and what God's will is. And we're going to move forward because it's not our workshop, but 
his workshop. And I truly believe that. Let us pray. Father God, on that same note, it's not my sermon, but it's your sermon. It's not my words, but it's your words. So at this time, will you, will you forgive the sins of this man dealing with this? And instead, will you allow him to disappear so that your words can be heard, your message can be felt, so that when the service is over, we can say, we have heard the voice of God and his lead in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, as we were talking about the game, I love a church with a good sense of humor as we talk about God must love baseball. Because as we talk about the game, um, truly, when I was growing up, this was my favorite game. Played this over and over and over again. And John Ortberg, in his book, writes, when it's all said and done, it all goes back in the box. Makes me ask the question, Could the game of Monopoly be sort of like the game of life? That after we've built our homes, after we've bought our cars, after we've earned our degrees, after we've done everything that we can do, when it's all said and done, we all go back in the box. We have a different name for that box, don't we? We call it coffin. When it's all said and done, we all go back in the box. You know, the reality is it's a pastor I have some of the sad responsibilities. You know, Brother Dante came up to me today and says, you know, I, I, I can't be here right with you right now because I'm, I'm going to go and visit someone that's critical. And as a pastor, that's really where we earn our keep. When we are right there beside someone who is critical, who is sick, who is dying. But, but let me tell you, when, when I have been beside people that are dying, I'm supposed to keep talking the game game, so I said it once, and I got to remember that. When I am beside a person dying, there are some things that people tell me, and there are some things that people don't tell me. Here, here are some of the things that I have never heard beside a dying person. I have never heard this words. Pastor, I wish that I could have bought another house. Never heard that. Never heard this words. 
I wish that I could have earned another degree. Never heard those words. Never heard like, oh, I wish that I could have worked harder so I could have left more money for my kids. Never heard that. Here are some of the words that I may have heard as I stand beside a person. And, and it's kind of, it's a little soft to me right now, because tomorrow, March 28, is, is my father's birthday, who I just buried last January. And I... And I remember speaking to him in November about Thanksgiving time when I called him. I talked to him on the phone, and I visited him every year. Visited him around January. And I said, Dad, how are you doing? I'm doing good, son. How are you? Doing fine. And he says, so when are you going to come and visit me? And he was in the Philippines. And I said, oh, you know, Dad, I, I always... Come and visit you in January. And he says, well, why do you have to wait till January? Well, you know, Dad, it's, it's expensive to come fly all the way to the Philippines. And he goes, well, money the problem? It really wasn't. No, Dad, you know, it's just, it's just hard to get away. But I will be there. And I was. And there's still pain in my heart because I was there with, to bury him. But the fact that I knew that my father, in a way, had a chance knowing that the most important thing for him was to be there with his son. I began to realize that when I'm beside people who are sick and dying, these are the words I hear. You know, Pastor, I wish I could have been a better father. I've heard words like, you know, Pastor, I wish I could have spent more time with my family. So in the game of life, I began to realize, truly, truly, when it's all said and done, do we as Christians play the game of life the same way that the world would play the game of life? Because the world, you know, as you see it, you see the bumper stickers. You say, he who dies with the most toys wins. The question I ask is, really? He who dies with the most toys and he who dies with the least toys, you're both dead. <laughs> it doesn't make a bit of a difference. So today, I got to ask myself, as Christians, how do we play the game of life differently? than the way the world would play it. Because I begin to understand 
that it's really not whether we win or lose, but it's how we play the game. So I want to invite you with me to turn to the Word of God. Because it's not my words that's important today. I want you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and 25. It says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone competes for the prize, is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a, what type of crown? Corruptible, my version says, perishable, withering crown. But we for an incorruptible, imperishable crown. You see why the world thinks that in the game of life, it's about accruing stuff. In the Christian game of life, we know that it's about getting the stuff that never perishes. In the Christian game of life, we begin to understand that E, truly, eternity is the what? Is the goal. Eternity is the goal. And I, I need a young lady. Can I have this? Can you help me? It's simple. When I put up a letter, I'm going to just have you put it up, and, and it's going to go backwards. So, so this is kind of a funky little thing. You just go like this, and it's supposed to put out tape. At least it did at one time. Let me see. This, I always thought this was a neat gadget, except when it doesn't work. Okay, let me see. Oh, you know what? Is someone an engineer here? Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay. There you go. I got it. So what you do is just very simple. You go like this. Okay. So you go like this, and you tear off a piece of tape. You gotta hold this. You gotta tear off the piece. Okay, you tear off a piece of tape, and when, when I give you a letter, you, you just get to put it up like this, okay? And you just gotta make sure it sticks. Thank you. So that, that was E. So I'm gonna be giving you, I'm gonna hold you a letter. I mean, you're gonna get to hold, you're gonna sit right there, and I'm gonna, you're gonna be my, uh, my lady, my, my, my Vanna. <laughs> Turn the letter. In the game of life, we learn that eternity is the what? is the goal. And I asked myself, what does that mean? Eternity is the goal.
there are two words I ask myself when I need to make a decision. Is it eternal or is it temporal? When I have to make a decision, is it eternal or is it temporal? And the way I make the decision is based on those two questions. For example, what are the things that we are going to get to take with us when we go to heaven? Yeah. You're, well, not, not our house, not our car, not our salary, nor our degree. The only thing we get to take to heaven with us is our character and the relationships that we have made and ourselves. Those are the things that we get to take with us in heaven. So when I have a choice, let's see, mm, work overtime or spend time with my daughter on an activity I promised, I ask myself, eternal or temporal? And you know what? The money I earn in overtime can't take with me to heaven. The relationship I have with my daughter, I could take that with me to heaven. So in the decisions I make, I begin to realize as parents of our kids that eternity is the goal. When we teach our kids, we don't teach them about the things that are temporal. We teach them about the things that are everlasting, that are eternal. And, and here's how it works. What they see is important to us is what's important to them. In fact, recent studies shows that 65 to 70% of the young people that they surveyed says, who is the number one influence on your decision making? And you know who it is? Mother and father. In spite of what we think, the influence of their peers and everything else, the influence that matters most to them is the influence that they see at home. So catch this. But it's not what we say that they know is important. It's what we do that they see is important. So if we tell them, and, and, and you know that, that he, he says over there, what's important to you? Check your pocketbook. I'm going to ask this question. What's important to you? Check your calendar. Check your calendar. Where you spend time the most, chances are, is what's truly most important to you. If you say that your children and family is important, yet you don't have anything scheduled in your calendar that says spend time with family and wife and spouse and kids, then, then we better have a reality check of what's truly important. Because I know me, I live and die by my calendar. I can tell you what I'm doing six months from now and nine months, unfortunately. I can tell you where I'm preaching seven months from now, unfortunately. 
But you know one thing I try to do in my calendar? I don't preach every weekend. Every month, I block off two Sabbaths, and I put the word family. Family. Because if I don't, as important as what I do here, I miss out on what's truly most important and spending Sabbath with my family. And so I ask my question, when you make a decision in life, is it eternal or is it temporal? The next letter that we have is the letter M. And in the game of life, I began to realize that more will never be enough. And I want to kind of illustrate this. I need, I need three volunteers of 10 years old and above, maybe three kids. Can I get three quick volunteers up here? Oh, you were, I know, you wanted to raise your hand, but you were going to be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Come on right down. I, can I get two more volunteers? Come on down. One more. Oh, there's the third one. Come on down. All right. We're going to play a little game. And the game is whoever builds the highest tower wins. So here's what we're going to do. These are your blocks. These are your blocks. These are your blocks. And you're, you guys going to need a little more. We're going to count out loud one number at a time. And every time you count a number, you get to put a block up. And the one whose blocks remain standing, when it's all said and done, wins. Okay? So, let's start. Let's start with the number one. You get your first block. Pick, your, pick the block that you decide will be at the bottom. Oh, before I do that, let's find out who our contestants are. And our, on the left, we have this handsome young gentleman. And your name is? Andrew. Andrew. It's not working anyway, right? Andrew. Andrew. Andrew, what's your last name? Home. Home? H-O-L-M-S? L-M-E-S. Very good. And, and what grade are you? Uh, junior. Junior in high school. So first name again? Andrew Home. Very good. And what's your name? Angelica. Angelica. And what's your last name, Angelica? Mora. Mora, M-O-R-A. And what grade are you, Angelica? Seventh. You're in seventh grade. So Angelica Mora, and last but not least, the gentleman on my right, and your name is? Well, but, you, but they may not. Brian. <laughs> last name? Orillo. Brian Orillo, O-R-I-L-L-O. Is it double R? Double R, O-R-R-I-L-L-O. -R -R and what grade are you, Brian? Eighth. Eighth grade. So we have a seventh, an eighth, and an eleventh grade. Now, this is interesting. If we have beauty 
and the, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say a rose in the middle of, but no. We've got three young people here who's going to see who knows how to build the bigger blocks, the bigger house. So one, let's count. Number two, you've got to get them ready because we're going to start to do that. Ready? We're going to just start to, you've got to put them right on top. It goes right Number, kids, count with me. Number three. Number four, looking good. Number five. So we got Andrew, Brian, and Angelica. Number six. Number seven. I gotta take their picture. Yeah, no win in here. No win factor here. Number eight. Ooh. For the record, the highest I've ever had here was 12. For the record. N no pressure. And, 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 and you guys are the oldest kids I've ever had up front. No, no pressure at all. Okay, number nine. Number ten. Number eleven. Number 12, so you've officially tied the highest. Very good. Now let's see. This is where the, let's see how it goes. Number 13. You think you could go some more? Probably not. Probably not? You think you can go? <laughs> yeah. Let's put, let's put the block. Let's just go ahead and put them on top. <laughs> you think you could go higher? Yeah. Yeah? Are you going to stay or are you going to let him go one up? Okay. And you're going to freeze? You'll freeze. You ready? Okay. So this is for the game, the challenge. Here we go. What, what number are we now? 14, number 14. He's, oh wait, wait a minute, before we do that, are you going to let, what grade are you? Are you going to let an eighth grader? <laughs> are, are you going to let eighth grader match you up? Oh, okay. Let's just, let's, let's just kind of, okay. Here we go. <laughs> number 14. Now, now, Brian, Brian, you can do this, can't you? You go, go, you'll try? Okay, let's see it. 
Okay, number four. Here we go. Number fourteen. Okay. So, are we gonna freeze or are we gonna try to go one up? I, I think we should go. Go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Fifteen. You should go first. Wow. I'm impressed. Number? I've I got to take a picture of this. This is, this is, this is, what, what number are we on? Fifteen. This is for the Guinness World of Record. Ready? Okay. I'll, I'll do it. Okay, here we go. One last one. If you both get it, here we go. 16. Never try to keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> they did well, didn't they? Let's give them a hand. <laughs> Guys, gonna help me quickly just pick this up. See me afterwards, because you all get the same prize. <laughs> that, was, that was really good. But the reality is, you know what? But isn't that kind of how life is? We always think we can do more. I've never met a person who says, who has $100,000 and says, oh, I think I have enough. If you have $100,000, you want $200,000. And if you have a million dollars, you want $2 million. Somehow, somehow, in the world's game of life, we always want more. But we begin to understand that more will never be enough. And I think Paul understood this. Paul understood this when he talked about the secret to happiness. You guys know where that is? Turn to me in a secret happiness. We all know this verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse what? 13 says, we all know Philippians 4, 13. What does that say? I can do all things through Christ, which gives me strength. That's their favorite verse. But did you know that the secret to happiness is actually lies in the two verses before 4.13? We talk about 4.13, we don't understand the context of 11 and 12. Check with me out on 11 and 12, and when you begin to, to see this, you're going to go, oh, I get it. I get it. Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Ah, did I get the right, right, right? Philippians chapter 4. Yeah, I did. Verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be what? Content. 
in whatever state I am, I have learned to be content. And catch this. I know how to be abased, how to be poor, and I know how to abound, to have plenty. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both in abound and to suffer in need. You know, one of the things I began to realize, even when I go to the Philippines where they have so little, I meet people all over the world that either always want more or people who are happy and content with whatever they have. And Paul says, hey, you know, the secret to life is not having more stuff because that's all it is. It's stuff. The secret to life is being happy with the stuff that God has blessed us with. Because truly, it's not about how much we have. It's about what we do with what God has blessed us with. Because when we're thinking about this is mine, then we're saying to ourselves, this is what I can do with it. Versus if I begin to say, hey, this is not mine, but this is whose? God's. Everything is the Lord's. When we begin to realize that the things that we have are truly not ours, but truly God's, then it's not a matter of how much I can get. It's a matter of how faithful can I become. And all of a sudden, it's not about can I buy a larger TV, but maybe how can God use me to help a person in need. In the Christian game of life, more will never be enough. Next, the letter A. In the Christian game of life, attitude counts. And by the way, when, when Christ says, I will give you the desires of your heart, ask and it shall be given you, are those just metamorphical? Metamorphical, that's not the word. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Are those metaphorical? That was the word I could... Thank you, metaphorical statements. Ortberg writes in his book, I got to get this because I think this is really important. He says, right now, we can choose to either have the richness of having or the richness of being. Catch this, the richness of having or the richness of being. What do you think the world wants? The richness of having. We want to have this car. We want to have this bigger house. And that's why as a tax preparer, I have more foreclosures this year than I've ever had or the last two years than I ever had before because people wanted bigger homes. I mean, I, I, I'm not stepping on anyone, but I'm just saying the reality is it's so easy to get sucked up in that philosophy of the richness of having, isn't it? And I'm guilty 
I'm not standing here saying I, I never want to have. Man, I'd love to drive a Porsche 911. I'd be lying if I told you I didn't. And I'd like to live in a bigger house. But Orkbert says, you know, you could get caught up in either the richness of heaven or you could get caught up in the richness of being. And when you pray to God, Lord, I want to be content, can God give you that right now? And if I say to God, God, I want to be at peace, can God give you that right now? And I want to be joyful in my heart. And I don't have to have a million dollars to be content. I don't have to have a million dollars to be at peace. I don't have to drive a Porsche 911 to be all that God wants me to be. But I began to realize that being contributes to our attitude. And there's a saying that goes with our young people in the game of life. You know, there's this saying, and I got to excuse the term, please. But there's a saying that says, if your attitude is bad or stinks, yeah, that's not quite how it goes, but I don't want to say the word. If your attitude stinks, then life stinks. Isn't that the truth? If your attitude stinks, then life stinks. You talked about this, this, this mother and daughter. It, did you say that your service ends at three? <laughs> so, three? Okay, so I, I'm good. I've, I've got plenty of time. New York time. New York time. <laughs> New York time. That was quick. That was good. You want to preach up here instead? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, there was, there, there was a story about a mother and daughter who went to the shopping mall, and the mother was having a, a bad day. So she goes to the cashier, and she tells the cashier something, and the cashier you know, answers back, and she does this, and the cashier. And she goes out, and she goes to the daughter, and he goes, did you see that cashier? Did you see how, how bad her attitude was? And the daughter looked at it, and she goes, mother, she didn't give you the bad attitude. You brought it when you came in. See, when your attitude stinks, life stinks. And I began to realize that the way we treat each other, and, and here's one book that I read. You know, you know how we treat each other, we value? We, we have someone. Can you stand up for me, please? And what's your name? Jim. Jim's going to be taking over my sermon. No, I'm just kidding. Jim, nice to meet you. And what we do is we look at someone, and we look at them and we say, do I think I'm better or inferior to the one in front of me? Think about that. Think about that, young people, when you go inside a party and you're, all the ladies, you're all dressed, you know how it works. You look around, right? You, you go to a prom or whatever, you look around, you look at all the dresses and you ask yourself, is my outfit better or what? inferior to the rest of the outfit in the room, right? And you carry yourself. So I look, at, I look at Jim, and if I think, oh, you know, I've got a suit and he doesn't, therefore, I must be better. So, you know, I'm going to act a little bit better. Now, <laughs> I look at this gentleman over here. Can you stand up, sir? And what's your name? 
James. <laughs> now, <laughs> James, he's got a suit on. He's got dignified gray hair. And so I'm going to go, man, this man's got it. And so I, I'm going to treat him with a little bit more respect. But that's how we kind of view and look at people. Thank you so much. And no, I'm not a better man. <laughs> but here... <laughs> That, that, was, that wasn't being facetious. <laughs> but here's what would happen. If someone in that door right in the middle walked in, it was President Obama, and this room was packed from beginning to end, and he walks in that door, a deacon would come, Mr. President, come on in. And we would begin to walk him down all the way to the what? All the way to the front. And if, if there was somebody seated here right at the front, we would say, <clears throat> Oh, you mean me? <clears throat> yes. Oh, you know, I'll find another seat. Oh, thank you. Mr. President, right here, sir. That's what we would do. But yet, but yet, if someone walked in that door, and maybe they weren't dressed as nicely, maybe their hair wasn't even fixed, maybe they even have a little smell of alcohol. Maybe it looked like they haven't showered for a few days, and it's apparent that this guy must be homeless. As he walks that door, how would we react? Would someone come up and say, sir, so good to see you? Would we walk him to the front? Would we sit him down? Or maybe when he finds a seat, we may have a person who kind of goes, oh, whew, you know what, I'm going to go find another seat. I'm not talking about this church, but I'm just saying how we treat people is typically based on how we feel about them. No wonder, oftentimes, when I'm driving down the street, you see this, and you're about to hit a stoplight, and, and, and you see someone in the corner holding a little what? Sign. And it says, need food. You know what happens with most people. As they're getting to that stoplight, they're going, oh, Lord, please let it be green. <laughs> please let it be green. And all of a sudden, the, the thing goes and, and it stops right there where he is. Oh, what, you again? <laughs> and all of a sudden, oh, you got to change the radio. Got to fix something here. Anything but to make eye contact. And when the light turns green, you go, Phew. oh, I can turn on the gun. But you know what? What would happen? What would happen? if we treated every individual like they were a son and daughter of God. I, I have a little ashtray in my car, and I don't smoke a whole lot. So, okay. So I, what I tend to do is I, I, I practice 
the principle of gleaning. You know the principle of gleaning in the Bible? It, it's, it, the principle of gleaning is this. When you have a field, God says, harvest the field. But do not go back and what? Re-harvest it. But instead, let the poor and the widows come and pick up so that they have something to eat. So I, I practice this principle of gleaning. And here's my principle of gleaning. When I go buy something with a dollar or something, and they give me change, I could use those coins for something else, but I could practice the principle of gleaning. So I take those coins, and I put it in my ashtray. And anytime I can't wait. Anytime I see a homeless person, I go, Lord, please let it stop. So I go there, and I stick my hand in the ashtray, and I stick my hand out the window, and I, I give it to the, to the man. And it never fails that when I, when I give him whatever it is in my hands, that man would always say something like this. He would say, God bless you. You got that word so easy. And I covet it. Did you know that? When that man says, God bless you, I take it like it was Jesus himself who laid his hand on me and says, God bless you. Because that's what the Bible says, doesn't it? He says, if you have done it to the what? To the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And you know, here's the cool thing. I'm a credit card person guy. You know, I pay off my credit card, so don't think, okay, we won't go there. But somehow, my ashtray never runs out of coins. I don't know how, but it never runs out of coins. Begin to realize that in the game of life, when we are in heaven, truly, attitude what? Counts. Finally, our last letter, G. In the game of life. God has to be what? First. I love the verse that someone mentioned to us, and I'm going to continue on that verse. That verse says, seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. You know, as, as, a, as a Filipino, um, we like rice. Yeah. Arroz por Filipino, igualmente de frijoles con mexicanos. Rice for Filipinos is like beans for Mexicans or Hispanics. I don't know what it is with rice, but I could eat all the food I want, but if there isn't rice there, it's such a funny thing. You know, I, I'll eat, 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 and I'll get home, and I'll go to my wife and say, is there any food? And she goes, 
you just ate. He goes, yeah, but still hungry. <laughs> it just it wasn't rice. So for, for us Filipinos, rice is about the, the, the luxuries, the, the niceties, the, the abundance of life, the, the, I hope you guys have a gender, the, um, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, so you guys are cutting back on your finances too, huh? <laughs> um, I'll have to remind Pastor Dante that. <laughs> the niceties of life. So in the world's game, they say eat dessert first. Other people say eat, drink, and be merry and as a little kid, I was going like, so why do you have to be married to be happy? <laughs> eat, drink, and be merry. And so I, yeah, I know. And I realized if you really want to eat, drink, anyway. Um, for tomorrow we shall die. And so the world says, hey, you know what? I'm going to enjoy life first, and then I'm going to go ahead and take care of the grown-up stuff. You know, grown-up stuff, like my to-do list, my take care of maybe the, the family and school and, and all of that stuff that we have to do. And then somebody says, oh, but, you know, God is important. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, God's important. Because every time they win those prizes, they say, praise God, and then they talk about how good they are. So, so when it's all said and done, I realize that we have to put me and God in the life. And it dawns on me that, you know, it just won't work. It just won't fit. But that's why the world is backwards. That's my cue. We're almost done. <laughs> the Bible says, seek ye second the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. No, that's not what the Bible said, huh? The Bible said what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And so maybe what God is really trying to say, maybe what we as parents really need to teach our kids is that God is really important in our lives. We not only have to say it, we have to show it. We have to live it. If we tell our kids, you know, kids, God is the most important thing in our lives and in your life, then maybe when we get up in the morning, it's kind of good if our kids see that we truly mean that and we truly put God and you first. That maybe when they walk in their room, they see you as spending time with God, as writing a journal to God, as being beside your bread, bread, bed and praying to God. Because no matter what we say, if we don't live it, our kids actually know what is truly important. And the Bible says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, then go ahead. And maybe, and, and, here's, and oftentimes here's what happens. We make our to-do list and we say, God, please bless our what? To-do list. Or we would make a church plan and we say, God, please bless our 
church plant. What about this? A paradigm shift. What if instead of saying, God, please bless our plants, we say, hey, God, why not create our plants? Why not create our to-do list? Why not tell me today what is the most important thing that I need to do today, that I need to do this week? And maybe that's taking your wife out for a date. Maybe that's having one-on-one -on -one time with your son or one-on-one -on -one time with your daughter. Or maybe that's spending an hour or two with the Word of God and letting God speak to you. Maybe that's the most important thing that God is wanting from you. And then he says, go ahead. Now, I'm going to tell you what's important. Go ahead. Spend time with me. Spend time with your wife. Spend time with your kids. Go ahead and go out there and work and do the best that I have given you to do. Go out there and, and do the things that we have to do and go out and help with the homework and go out and see our kids do the piano recital and, and whatever all that life involves. He says, and when we begin to put Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of What? Highly Effective People. I love it. His number one habit, he says, you know what? If you're going to be successful in life, you have to put first things first. He didn't say you have to put first things second. He says you got to put things first things first. Well, Covey didn't make that rule up. He got it from the Word of God. When he says, seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And then, you know, God says, then I will fill you the desires of your heart. And so you've gone through that. You've, you've gone through your to-do list. And then God says, you know what? Now I'm going to bless you even more. Because you have been faithful to the least of this, I will be faithful unto you. And you begin to find out that God does give us the desires of our heart. And by the way, are the desires of our heart to have more? Hmm. Maybe when we begin to pray for God's will, we begin to find out that God's will for our life is not having more, but in being more. More content. More faithful. More dependent. More joyous. More happy. And when we begin to put first things first, when we begin to put God first in our life, we begin to find out that God can and does make our life complete and full and overflowing. Can I hear an amen? amen. And the question I have here is maybe if we walk out this door today, there may be one or two of you out there who says, God, I need a paradigm shift in my life. I need to realize that having you in my life is more than just coming to church one day a week. It's about putting you first in my life every day, every morning. It's about putting the people and the things that are truly important to me, my wife, my children, my friends, people I have to pray for, lift up, encourage. And when I am faithful, God is faithful and more faithful. In fact, the Bible says that God is faithful even when we're not faithful. 
game of life. God must come first. Our attitude counts. More will never be enough. But when it's all said and done, truly, eternity is our God. If you with me want to be part of God's game plan, if you want to say, hey, you know, Pastor Dietrich, I realize that, that sometimes my game plan isn't God's game plan, and I want to be in God's game plan. Will you, will you raise your hand with me? God, here I am. I want to be part of your game plan. I want to be right there. And I don't know if, if one of you struggle up there. And oh, no, I'm going to do this. If someone of you there says, you know, I, I just need to rededicate my life to God. And I realize that I've been struggling. I want to take this opportunity to say a special prayer with you. Right here. And this is uncomfortable because no one wants to be vulnerable in front of our church. But if I just feel in my heart, if there's someone out there who says, you know, I want to rededicate my life. And you want to join me here right up front then I want to just say a special prayer with you and with us there. And if you're seated down, it's not a guilt trip. But if there's someone out there who says, there's something that I just got to turn over to God right now, will you join me here up front? Let's just close in prayer. Oh, do we have a closing prayer? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't look. Um, I want to, if there isn't, is there a closing song? If, if there's praying to go, I want to do one closing song. Can we do, I saw a guitar here. In the chord of D, can we sing, Seek ye first, the seek ye first. Is that the right song? Yeah. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Do I play the guitar? Oh, you can play that. Or somebody, or in the piano, in the key of D. <laughs> Somebody, somebody, is there a regular guitar, regular guitar? I didn't, key of D. I seek ye first the and his righteousness. Oh, there it is. All right. Shall we stand as we sing our closing song? And if while we're singing our closing song, if you want a special prayer as we do our closing, just come and join me right up front as we sing, Seek Ye First. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things 
shall be added unto you. Alleluia, alleluia. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. It goes, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Shall we pray? Father God, we come to you today. And we just want to say thank you for being part of our lives. Thank you for being part of our journey. And today, Lord, I just want to pray for these two ladies here up front. I just want to lift you up. You know what's in their heart. You know what their struggles are. You know what they're bringing up to you. We don't need to know them. I don't need to know them because you know them. And I pray, Father God, that in the stillness of the hour, that you will fill them and lift them up. You will allow them to walk forward with confidence and in faith, knowing that you are walking side by side with them. And I pray, Father God, that out there in the audience, I know that there are people who are struggling with finances, people struggling with marriage, people struggling in their family life. And I pray that will you be with them, Father God? Will you allow us to be able to bring this up to the foot of the cross and allow you to be the God who takes care, who weaves, who solves, but more than that, who is with us in our journey everywhere we go. And as we leave this place, Father God, let us never leave with your presence. Never, never, nev never let us leave away from your presence, but rather let us always know that you are right here beside us in the loving name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.